following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live and socially distanced in our outdoor studios here in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I'm Pete, and sitting across from me, the maestro of Merlot, Vino Mike. Hello, everybody. Mike, we're back outside, and we're drinking some fucking Merlot. I love both of those statements, actually. <laughs> Hell yeah. And how many F-bombs are we going to get in the I'm drinking fucking Merlot episode? <laughs> right? now, now I've got to put an E on the episode. I, you know, I I tried to do my most suave and smooth hello, everybody, like, to match up with what, you know, your what Bar- I- Your Barry White voice? Was synonymous with Merlot, you know, like, we have a bottle of Merlot uh, back back when when that was something. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that for sure, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so, how's the, before we get going, though, mm-hmm. how's the beginning of remote learning for you? How's the daddy time going? You know, we've got a a week under our belts now. And, you know, it's, I would say it's improving. Good. You know, that's, that's the, the, the basic gist of it. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely different for many different reasons. Uh, It's, you know, you see the emotions of all of the kids come out. Well, you know, and the gamut, you know, frustration, happiness, silliness, anger, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen it in my own kid. Um, But, you know, that that's a little bit, you know, disheartening to watch and part of the. It's part of the process, part of the process, part of the, you know, just kind of the negative aspect of all of this. But we're trying to make the most of it. And, you know. Our our son who is starting first grade, it's a little bit different than kindergarten, of course. And, you know, we've got a little bit more diving right into like the reading and writing where I think in the beginning of the kindergarten year, it wasn't like right away necessarily oh, yeah. doing that stuff. So with a little bit more classic schoolwork coming into the mix, I think, you know, he's he's actually shown a lot of excitement and, you know, to try and get better at, at reading, writing, and uh, arithmetic. Look at that. <laughs> so, Reading, so it, writing, arithmetic, the yeah, three R's. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's going good. Uh, wine, you know, is helping me out as the, uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> as the student, uh, you know, as the teacher, the tutor. Uh, not during yet. It hasn't gotten that bad where <laughs> I'm off on the side. <laughs> right. So what I noticed today on uh, our screen the way that we set up Michaela's uh, like little classroom in the basement is that it's near, not too far from the bar. Yeah. Well, I didn't move the screen over far enough and you can totally see all my bottles of booze sitting there while they're doing class. I just noticed after, you know, almost two weeks. So I'm like, Oh, I, I, I guess I should probably move the stuff away from the camera <laughs> i know right why does your daddy have so much booze i'm i'm proud of our backdrop on the zoom call though because where we are in the living room it has the most light and the most space and there's just this awesome um 
painting that my wife's uncle did, Michael Miller. He's an artist out in L.A., and he does like kind of spray paint type art. I I wish I had like an exact term for it, but it's kind of abstract, cool with colors and everything. And so he did this awesome canvas painting, and then he actually found like wine labels that he put on the painting and sort of drew pictures around it uh, of uh, of a wine bottle. So it looks like there's these wine bottles layered on there. And anyway, that's our that's our first grade uh, Zoom background. We um, well, we both got some some yeah. plug for the alcohol going now, on. When when you guys you know were looking to buy the house and you were touring it, maybe checking it out, were you like, this is where you know we can put this the classroom? Yeah, I did, yeah, exactly. I'm like, when we have a pandemic. <laughs> And we've got to be socially isolated. Where are we going to put the class? Oh, we could just put it right here, right in front of all the booths. Right. And I mean, how many of those conversations are actually happening right now for people looking for homes? Absolutely. Right? Well, it's interesting, too, because I was just reading about how and people the home are... office. Sorry to right. But, you know, like life right. in 2020 and, and and moving forward. Yep. And I, I was just reading about how people are fleeing the city, like out in New York. Realtors are just gangbusters, like moving people out into the suburbs. But in New York. It, sales are down like 56% or something, which means that like movers and I, I know somebody who just said that they're going to move to Montana. Wow. I mean, because they're like, got to get out of the city. So kind of crazy times. Big sky country. Big. I would love to move to Montana, honestly. I would have loved to have seen Montana. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's get to the wine. I will say, though, if you are in the market for a new home and you have the choice, you know, between the, the room that can be a wine cellar or a home office slash classroom, I think our listeners will make the right choice with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Kids are adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a closet is for. Like that <laughs> what... Ryan on the office. Remember <laughs> yes. Jim puts him in the closet <laughs> yep. and make an example out of him. <laughs> oh, good old Ryan. Yeah. I learned that he's one of the five main like core characters, core people that were on the show. Mm hmm. I, I didn't know that, like, just watching the show, though. Yeah, it seems so in the background right. and moving the temp, and then he's the, you know, yeah. the vice president or whatever. But it that, is hilarious. That whole story arc, like, where he goes from temp all the way to, you know, v, the youngest VP in Dundermith in history, down to working in the bowling alley. It's just, <laughs> it really, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Bri- I, it it really is. It really is brilliant. We're, we're watching it again, and you just watch different parts of it, and every part is just fantastic. Yeah. But he also uh, illust- wrote and illustrated some children's books, I believe, or yeah. wrote some children's books. I yeah. know we had one where I was like, BJ Novak, that sounds familiar. Yeah. How do I know that name? When I'm reading a nighttime story to Johnny like a number of years ago, I'm like, yeah. that sounds familiar. Yeah, dude is enormously <laughs> talented, obviously. Yeah, so. it's awesome. All right, now to the wine. Let's get into some fucking Merlot. Ah, oh, dude. So I had to. I had to. I We have not talked really that much about Merlot. And I've been dying to because I love good Merlot. I think it's way underrated because of that stupid fucking movie, Sideways. And I want to bring Merlot back. I want to make Merlot great again. We're bringing so, Merlot back. The... This bottle is actually uh, from a winery called Rourke, and they started back in, like, I want to say, like, 2009, 2010 mm-hmm. is around when they, they came came about, and the goal was the natural thing, right? Okay. So, it's a natural wine, minimal mm-hmm. intervention, 
they tried to add the least amount of sulfites needed. They always say sulfur, by the way. A lot of most winemakers, they don't say sulfites. They just right. say sulfur. Um, and he wanted to make sure that he was just kind of using what the vineyard gave him. And a lot of them he will himself kind of work in the vineyard. It's his vineyards, or at least he manages vineyards. And if he doesn't, if they source fruit, then it's making sure that they have people with like-mindedness. Okay. And they don't call it uh, organic or biodynamic or anything. It's just kind of more on the sustainable Mm -hmm. mantra. And they don't even call it that. Gosh, I can't remember what what he called it now. It'll come to me. I like that, though. I love that, you know, whatever. They're not getting officially certified and throwing it all over the label as the no. we've talked about this before yeah. you know as the as the angle of why maybe you should buy the wine or try the wine or whatever right um i have a lot of experience with this producer's cabernet franc one yes. of my favorite domestic cab francs phenomenal and uh chenin blanc yes i'm not so familiar with the merlot so uh, when when we were gonna like hey let's do a merlot you didn't tell me what you were going to bust out for the show. And when I showed up to record, it was like, oh, cool. I yeah. Didn't even... Yeah. I think he does Syrah really well, too, but okay. in, a, in a different style than you're used to. Yeah. Uh, I would say the same a little bit for Merlot. To me, this is a throwback in a way because the purity of the grape really, to me, shines through in this bottling. And it was the shocker to me when I was tasting through some wines and I'm like, oh, I got to. I got to grab this because it's just fresh and bright and it's a 2015 vintage and it's just really just vibrant uh, right away on the nose, on the palate, super, super versatile, but it has those classic Merlot uh, tell, telltale signs of Merlot without the, what I call the napification of it, where it's kind of over extracted and a lot of oak. This is just bright and almost a little bit of candied fruit uh, up front, but then it just really has a lot of good complexity uh, that goes through. So I know you just took your first sip. What do you think? I did have my first sip. And, you know, there's a lot of this wine that reminds me actually of the old world um, with Bordeaux. So I like what you're saying about, you know, it's not napified. It's not extremely ripe. It's definitely not extremely oak driven, which you would expect when you're talking about the philosophy of this winemaker of being more into natural, organic, um, et cetera. Like you really want to let the fruit speak versus the the winemaker technique speak. Um, so really well balanced. Actually, the the first thing that blew me away was when I swirled it and nosed it. It was just really jumping out of the glass here. And, you know, when I think about Merlot, I think about more of plums and, yeah, you know, that plummy fruit, uh, definitely cherries from red to black cherries. Not so much the dark blackberry and cassis you're going to get out of Cabernet Sauvignon. And I also think a little bit more um, herbaceousness and, you know, just a softer profile, a little bit silkier. Um, you know, this is, this is in the Bordeaux family of grapes. A lot of your favorite Cabernet Sauvignons is, you know, coming out of whether it's Bordeaux or Napa or Australia, uh, South America, (coughs) pardon me. These all tend to have some, many of them will have some percentage of Merlot blended in the mix. They just kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, I'll say that when I 
first started learning a little bit about wine, working at Timponi's, shout out to Timponi's restaurant in Urbana. And this was around 2000, 2001. We had a Merlot by the glass from Steltzner. Oh, yeah. In the Stag's Leap district of yes. Napa Valley. And I'll never forget this wine. I mean, number one, we, we it was by the glass. People were ordering glasses of Merlot left and right. This is pre-sideways, which we'll get to um, yeah. eventually during this episode. But for me, Merlot was kind of synonymous with smooth, where people talk, oh, that wine is smooth. Like when I, I, you know, didn't know a whole lot about wine and terminology and how to describe it, you know, easily go into just that smooth factor, meaning it doesn't have like as much as the bitterness and the tannin and the bite that a big, powerful Cabernet can have. Um, and especially this one we poured, the Steltzner. This was one of the first wines I learned about from Napa and learned about that AVA, the Stag's Leap District, and why that is own AVA is because the fruit, whether it's Merlot or Cabernet that comes out of there is so silky and soft. Um, and the Merlot that came out of the, this area, it's just some of the finest in the world, I think. Um, so I think about that wine when I, when I think about Merlot and, uh, it's definitely, uh, a grape and a wine that maybe is associated more with an older generation than a younger generation. And I, I suppose we somewhat have sideways, uh, to think about that, uh, to, to thank for that, I should say. Yeah, exactly. That to me is, all right. So basically if you haven't seen the movie sideways, I'm not sure if there's a wine drinker that hasn't, right. But if you haven't, I think it's worth watching because it is a very good movie mm -hmm. because it's a very good movie though. Um, and I will including say, I think Virginia Madsen is from the Chicago area. I don't know about that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not good. I'm not good with that stuff. But yeah, is definitely. Is that her name, Virginia up. Madsen? That Sounds familiar. Um, who else is in there? Sandra O, oh, Paul Giamatti. This is. A, it is a great movie, and it's a. It's a story. It's. It's a tale. It's not about wine. The focus. You know, it takes place in wine country. There is a lot of wine involved in the movie. But it's not like you really come away from the movie learning a whole lot about wine. It's more of the story of the characters and what's going on there. So, um, I but had, I had I, I, not to interrupt you, but I had yeah. both her name and the fact that she was from Chicago. Correct. Boom. Thank you. This is why Trivial Pursuit. I'm actually decent at. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the twenty the twenty twenty edition. So. Okay. Well, what's cool, like long story short, you know, they, you know, they take this wine trip to Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara County, which is, I, I've said this before, it's my, my favorite wine region of California because you have everything under the sun is going on there. It's so fucking awesome. And then just to the north, not in Santa Barbara, you're in Paso Robles. It's just such a special part of California and it's not all done up and touristy and super ritzy and, you know, uh, it's just very affordable, very laid back, um, and, and very real feeling. Um, and you can definitely find that in Napa. So, you know, don't, don't crucify me here for saying these things and Sonoma for sure. But, um, the vibe of Santa Barbara is awesome. And this Merlot we're drinking right now, the Rourke is, I saw on the back labeled as Santa Inez Valley. Yes. Um, so Santa Barbara, what's cool about that, just to drop a little knowledge, is that it's the only region in California that runs east-west um, due to the mountain range over there versus north-south. So, you know, that east-west mountain range that pulls in the cool 
Pacific Ocean fog and pulls it way inland, and then that burns off throughout the day. So closest to the coast sees the most of this fog and is cooler, and you get great, great Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in those areas. So that's where you're going to find, like, the Santa Rita Hills. When you come further inland, it actually is warmer. The fog doesn't last as long, and this is great for your Rhone varietals, and some Bordeaux grapes. So Syrah, you mentioned work does Syrah. We talked about Cabernet Franc. We talked about Merlot. Um, that's This is Santa Ynez Valley as well as Happy Canyon, which is even a little bit further east of Santa Ynez. So it's a fascinating little area. And I love it because within the span of like, I don't know, 15, 20 miles or whatever it is, you can have basically four different wine regions. You have like Bordeaux, the Rhone, and Burgundy, all in this little area in Santa Barbara. So, um, and anyway, that's that's kind of where this this movie Sideways takes place, and they're all about Pinot Noir. I know a lot of our listeners have seen the movie and know it, but there's the famous scene where Miles says, you know, they're about to go into dinner. They're meeting the two girls, Virginia Madison and Sandra O. Oh, their characters. They're meeting them for dinner in a restaurant that actually exists, the Los. Olivos Cafe, which if you ever take your trip to Santa Barbara uh, and you visit this area, a stop in Los Olivos is mandatory. And I would highly recommend the Los Olivos Cafe. I've been there a number of times uh, with um, great friends, and I actually took my wife there on our honeymoon. And the famous line before they go in, you know, Miles doesn't want to go to this dinner. He doesn't want to do it. And he's being forced into having to go do it. And he exclaims well i'm if, i'm not drinking any fucking merlot you know if they order merlot i'm not drinking it and what happened after that in culture is just mind-blowing how that one single line just ruined merlot um and before we talk about that i just want to say that i think it's one of the most misunderstood out of context lines absolutely in history yes um where I really firmly believe that this guy is on vacation. His fucking friend Jack is pu- pulling him and pushing him way outside his comfort zone. He's asking him to lie for him. He just wants to have a good time. He loves Pinot Noir. They're in Pinot country. He just wants to explore Pinot Noir. And he doesn't know these two girls. He doesn't know their tastes. He's being maybe a little bit judgmental. And he's just like, look, we're, we're at this great restaurant. We're in Pinot country. If these people want to drink Merlot, fuck, I don't want to do that. I want to explore some of these other wines. And, you know, that's that. And, yeah, Merlot can be, like, a little bit perhaps boring or one-dimensional compared to something like Pinot Noir if you're a big Pinot fan versus a big Bordeaux fan. But I don't think the context was Merlot sucks and Pinot is better. Yeah, I think that what he goes on to describe the Pinot Noir grape and talking about, you know, it's thin skinned. It takes more kind of delicacy to kind of coax what you want out of Pinot Noir. There's there's some truth to that, right? It's a thinner skinned grape than Merlot. It's not as forgiving in terms of the wine you can make. More more finicky. More finicky. And he's not wrong about the fact that there was a bunch of shitty Merlot being made. Yeah. He's not wrong about that. Yeah. Right. But after this, what happened was we got a lot of shitty Pinot Noir because people started (laughs) ripping up Merlot vines because it wasn't selling and putting Pinot Noir vines in, you know, where they shouldn't be and 
giving us a bunch of young, really green, stemmy kind of style Pinot Noir for a while that sucked too. So it, it was like this weird cultural phenomenon that happened. And if you took the entire movie in context, right? And he goes on to just talk about his prized possession of the 61 Cheval Blanc, right? Yep. And that is going to have a large portion of that wine is going to be Merlot, right? It's a it's a Cabernet Franc, Merlot-dominated wine. Mm-hmm. So if you know anything about wine, you know, to your point, he's not saying, like, fuck Merlot. He's saying or exactly I don't drink what it you ever, said. Or right. It was like just in that one moment. Right. So to, to, to give you a story of how this permeated culture, I... I was opening my stores as Sideways became popular in my wine style stores. And so I had in in the midst of getting to that point, right? I was I was working actually for AT&T. I was uh, what they call the client business business manager back then. I had this big portfolio of customers and I would have to travel and go see them and whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as my as some of my friends said, your big business bullshit. So <laughs> I had to get on a plane one time and go to Dallas because that's where one of the clients was located. And I had a sales rep with me, you know, you know, the person who was kind of on my team that took care of the data side of things for me. And we go to this restaurant in Dallas and we decide just to eat at the bar. And the bartender says to us, as we're looking through the wine list, I won't serve any Merlot here because Merlot is for weak-minded people. Wow, that sounds that sounds wonderful. Yeah, sounds I was, really open-minded and I know uh, I was like, what, what? Very, very service-driven. What the hell are you talking about with that? So it it shows you how permeated it was. And then when I opened my stores, I can't tell you how many people said I, I don't like Merlot. Like it was the cool thing to not like it, right? So me being an asshole. I held a blind tasting one time that said, hey, come in, taste through these wines. Anybody who guesses gets to, you know, gets a prize, whatever. And they're all 10% off, but you can only buy A, B, C, or D, right? Mm -hmm. Tons of people came in. Tons of people told me they hate them or low came in. Everybody to a person almost loved the wines. Tons of them were being sold with just letters. All four were Merlot. Boom. All four. Right. Just, I had to get through to them. Yeah. Right? That it, it is a prejudice on the label. That's one of the reasons I love blind tasting. I don't care about guessing. I just don't want to have any preconceived notions diving into the into the glass if I can. Yeah. I don't really care what, what it is. I don't have a grape that I say, I don't like that. Right. I don't. There are styles of wine that I don't prefer that I could pick out, put in a glass, things that are a little bit on the, you know, more cloying sweet side that aren't meant to be that way to me, or, you know, not sauterne or what have you, but those aren't going to be cloying. Right. But a lot of Midwest wines or fruit wines or things like that, those aren't my style. But I could pick that out blind in a glass because of how they taste. Other than that, I'm wide open, dude. Like, people ask me all the time, well, what's your favorite grape? If I'm forced to, I'm going to talk about Nebbiolo, but for the most part, it's like picking a favorite kid. I, I got a lot of favorites, right? All of them for different reasons and at different times. Yep. This one, to me, 
just blew me away. And I loved the philosophy behind the winery at Rourke. And I've, I had to look up. That's what I was. I was looking on my phone to find the, the line because I wanted to make sure I got it right. His philosophy is he's making the wine and every step of the process up into the point where he's bottling the wine. He asks the question, is it is this necessary? Right what I'm doing right now, is this necessary? Right on. To me, that is the magic of the natural wine philosophy. Because that sh- it shouldn't be to be cool. It shouldn't be to be funky or cloudy in a glass or whatever. None of that's happening here, right? This is is not fine, not filtered, and still clarity is beautiful. The color is beautiful. Everything's right. Because he's asking the question, is this necessary? And to me, that's the essence of of what somebody who is a farmer that happens to make wine, that's what they're asking, right? And I, I just love the overall kind of what, what's going on there. So that's I'm glad that we pulled this one out. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, you, you kind of are describing, I think, what's the norm in the old world. Exactly. You know, and uh, it definitely exists in California. And this, this is a beautiful example. I love it. The color on this thing is like more garnet than it is ruby and purple. Uh, you can just tell there's not a whole lot of extract or concentration or extra maceration and um, all of that, uh, all of that good stuff to make a dark, ripe, rich, kind of sweeter style. You know, the other thing is Merlot. Merlot is an international varietal like Pinot Noir, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Riesling. You're going to find examples that are like terrible, mass produced, right. bulk, all the way up to single vineyard, single row, you know, super expensive, um, everything in between. So yeah. to to be able to say, I don't like Merlot based on popularity or culture, I mean, it's a grape. That's all it is. Right. And it got branded right. in that movie. And unfortunately, it got branded as something inferior. Right. As much as I like examples from the United States, including Napa Valley, it has some great Merlot Bordeaux, the Finger Lakes, once again, has some great examples of some Merlot. Yeah. My favorite value Merlot comes out of Chile. Okay. I think that Chile does a great job with it. Now, they had a little problem for a while because they kind of had mixed up Merlot and Carmenere down there. Yeah. They're very similar looking grapes, very similar leaves. So they kind of didn't know. They were kind of, it didn't hurt the Merlot so much. It hurt the Carmenere, but they were selling Carmenere as Merlot. Mm Mm-hmm. Once they kind of figured that out and and started to separate those two out and understand how to correctly, enologically, right, go about raising them and and utilizing them, it's been phenomenal. But value, awesome stuff coming out of Chile for for Merlot. Now, of course, you want completely classic, you go to Bordeaux Mm -hmm. and and go find it. Yeah. I mean, we should talk about that, you you know, because Bordeaux, you've got your left bank. And the right bank is what is thrown around, the term that's thrown around right. out in, in the wine world. And, you know, the right, this is the the river, um, the Gironde that runs through the region, the right bank of that river. This is where you're finding the Appalachian Saint-Emilion, uh, Pomerol, and then a handful of satellite and smaller Appalachians. But those two are the big ones, Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. And when you get a bottle of Bordeaux and it says one of those two names as the Appalachian, it's pretty much a Merlot-dominated red wine. And they're they're absolutely fantastic. I mean, I really love talking about value 
one of the satellite appellations is called the Cote de Castillon, which is now under the Cote de Bordeaux umbrella. It used to be its own appellation all by itself. But they kind of grouped a few of these smaller appellations together under this Cote de Bordeaux appellation. So if you see Cote de Bordeaux dash or hyphen Castillon, um, that's a Merlot-driven right bank Bordeaux that a lot you can find under 20 bucks or around 25 oh, yeah. And there's some pretty awesome, awesome stuff. Um, I, I really love Right Bank Bordeaux when it comes to the Merlot grape. It's where my mind gravitates to first. Outside of there, it's fun. You just got to be adventurous. It's hard to like find a style or have a region be attached to a style. You really got to get down to the nitty-gritty to the producer. Um, some of the, just to give some credit to Napa, I mean, Duckhorn, the Three Palms Vineyard, oh, one yeah. of the first luxurious merlots i learned about in the late 90s they're the vintages anyway like i remember trying the 97 three palms once and being like holy shit this is good yeah i i agree and when i said that i i know it sounds disparaging it it was it wasn't meant to be it's just a different style it's a more extracted bigger style t- typically mm-hmm. like the duckhorn three mm-hmm. palms freemark abbey comes to mind as doing a pretty good uh, Merlot for the money, but it's again going to be a bigger style, yep. right? Just different. Nothing wrong with that. And that if you like bigger, richer style, I'd be looking more towards Napa Valley for for some Merlot. Mm-hmm. Cuvaisan is an old school one that I also one of the first you know wines kind of coming up and learning. I remember Cuvaisan Merlot was a big one. Steltzner we mentioned. Yep. Um, Schaefer right now. Schaefer is comes to mind that's like maybe on the top of a lot yeah. of people's list i mean it's it's pricey but it it yeah. really is well done every vintage but it it's not not a lot of it's made and it's expensive but if you have that kind of money absolutely grab grab a couple of bottles of that i mean what i like about the rourke is you know i can you could typically get this i think under 30 bucks and i was able to to get it at a really good price point i can't remember what it was but i just remember going wow that's that's a heck of a value and we unfortunately drank through the case i think this is my last bottle of it because it's so food friendly that inversatile i've we've had this with roast chicken we've had this with uh lean steak like a filet we've had this with like uh spaghetti and meatballs it's just super super versatile right on right on i could i could totally picture that and and dig that you can just pair this with with almost anything um i think we should give a shout out to this distributor here oh, too, absolutely and talk a little bit about that because when when we're talking about this producer and what you were saying with the price it sort of made me think like we're talking about duckhorn we were talking about schaefer these are massive well-known producers not necessarily mass-produced wines but they do produce in pretty decent quantities but they're well known. They're in a lot of publications. They have a ton of accolades. Well, they're restaurant um, wines, right? They end up on restaurant. They're lists. steakhouse, absolutely yes. restaurant and steakhouse wines. And I think their their image needs to be somewhat protected when it comes to pricing in the market. Yep. And when you you know some of these other smaller producers, not as well known, you can sometimes find a great bargain on that because they might just all of a sudden, hey, I need a little bit of cash flow. I got this couple pallets of this Merlot sitting at my winery. They'll work with their local distributor, which here in town, shout out to Steve over at Vinejoy. Um, and, you know, they might 
offer up an awesome opportunity, which you're you're just rarely, if not ever, going to find that with the bigger names. Yeah, if you do on the bigger names, it's because they're closing out a massive amount of wine. Yeah, huge. Right, like, way way above our our heads typically, right? Uh, and they'll end up in a, like a Costco, I mean, or something, right? Mm-hmm. The Costco will buy buy that and put it regionally or something. Uh, what Steve has done at Vinejoy is really special. He's branched out over time, but where his concentration was was right in uh, the central coast of California which not a lot of people were looking at. Or those wines may have been in the market with a bigger distributor and just sitting in warehouses or maybe allocated in a way that you couldn't get your hands on because it was restaurant-driven or something, right? But for the most part, he understood the area and has made he made a living. He made an entire company based on Central Coast wines, right? Yep. So... You're over there having a wine gasm. What's going on? Well, I mean, I'm I'm into my second glass, which <laughs> just a couple of glass holes, people. Just a couple of glass holes over here. But really, I I just I got down to the bottom of the first one. We're outdoors. I had a you nat. know little gnat hanging, having a merlot bath in hey, it's there. It's a natty wine. <laughs> That's right, literally. <laughs> and uh, but it's so good. I had to pour another glass and. You know, it's opening up. It's really starting to breathe now. And I don't know how long we're in into this episode. It feels like maybe about a half hour coming up on that right now. Yeah, about 32 minutes. You know, that's about the norm for wine to like kind of start opening up. And it's got a little bit of age, right? 2015. um, And it is singing over here, man. Like, I'm just, I'm really, really enjoying this immensely. Um, Yeah, it makes me want to order some more work wines like I mean, the cherries and the plums are there now i'm a i'm a huge huge fan of santa barbara i can't stress this enough and i've been there more than any other california region so when i stick my nose in this glass i i'm transported there and that i don't get that all the time even drinking barolo or something although i've never even been to piedmont but that's another story um you Shout know out to paulo yeah i know <laughs> he has a thing to or two to say about that for sure. But really I'm transported. Like it smells like Santa Barbara County in this glass. Yeah. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. Um, and it, it's just singing and it's this beautiful mix of cherries and kind of that red plum fruit and a little herbaceousness. Um, for me, I, one of my favorite pairings is a beautiful roast pork loin. Oh, perfect. Pork tenderloin and Merlot. And if you want to like get all, super fancy and do like the blueberry compote or something but just like herbs a little olive oil whatever salt and pepper simple and merlot it's one of the best one of the best pairings and then of course like a burger with blue cheese or something is is pretty classic with a merlot because these aren't overpowering wines right they're not it's not super tannic and no the tannins are silky the acid is so beautiful on this wine it's so clean then that's that acidity also helps with your food pairing, right? Because you want something that's complementary and then kind of cleans the palate. So when you've got big oaky wines, those are easy to drink on their own, but sometimes it'll just overwhelm food unless you've got a super fatty cut of meat or something that's been braised and with a, in a lot of fat to it, like a short rib or something. But for the most part, you want something that's got nice acidity, silky tannins, and that is going to just complement whatever you got there. To think about it this way, we've got a Merlot here. It's about 14.2 alcohol, so not out of control, but definitely, you know, it's got some 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 heft to it. Yep. I would say kind of medium plus bodied. Yeah. I would say kind of uh, 
medium tannin, yep. maybe medium, yeah, may, yeah, about medium tannin, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the acidity, though, is like more medium plus. It's like really uh, there, but it's not like salivating kind of Sauvignon Blanc or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's not super bright like that, and it's what's bringing me back for sip after sip and glass after glass, and maybe what's attracting all these bees over yeah. to your glass right yeah. now. Yeah, and and <laughs> the, my the end of that point was to say you and I have made have named chicken, pork, and red meat, and blue cheese to all go with this one. In other words, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. Look on the menu, we've got some uh, like we do these kind of nachos, if you will. We use not chips though we use uh bell peppers oh nice and like a black bean stuffing in it to make a nacho black bean nachos with the bell pepper in this would be phenomenal sounds like that should be on the menu tonight yeah, since this bottle popped open pretty you know? much so i love that and you get a little bell pepper out of the the varietal yeah. anyway because that bordeaux those bordeaux grapes put off that green sometimes that green pepper green herbs for sure yeah um, I'll, I'll even throw like a, a fatty tuna in the mix. You can sure. do red wine with fish people. That's it right. It's all good. That's right. You know, you don't want like to do, you know, like, I'm just trying to think, you know, like a lemon, lemon, white wine, butter sauce necessarily with your tuna, with this wine. Or it's, do if you want, it, but it's not the worst thing in the world, yeah. but you know, sometimes the, the sauce can be the issue. Right. And not the protein or the the feature on the plate, but you know, there's no reason to not consider having a little bit of seafood, salmon, um, you know, something light like a a sole or a trout. You know, okay, maybe the the wine will kind of yeah, overpower that. A something bit, with a, some oiliness, like a snapper or like a red snapper or something, is gonna yeah. be. And then like throw too. maybe throw some sautéed mushrooms, something yeah. that good that grabs onto a red wine yep. to complement that, and you're good to go. Dude, now I want to go eat. Merlot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I'm I'm good. Uh, you got anything else that you want to make sure gets shared with this fucking Merlot? No, not. not. I'm glad we're drinking some fucking Merlot. That's <laughs> all I got to say. It's been a while. I, I will say I don't have a whole lot in the cellar domestically. I probably have a couple right bank Bordeaux hanging out. Yeah. Um, But it's something that even I, I just don't find myself buying it that often. Now, but when have... I find some good ones, I do. I was going to say, now you might be looking for some work. I really do. My my other favorite one actually is another Santa Barbara one by Folkway. Oh, that's so... But, uh, and the again, Biennecito uh... Merlot they do, that's one of the best domestic Merlots I have ever had, dude. Ever. Absolutely. And you know what other one... So that's from Steve. And another one... Remember that barter and trade Merlot from Washington? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Dude, dude. how could we not have talked about Washington yet? Washington Merlot I guess we're not Phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, the barter and trade Merlot was is was is, yeah. ridiculous. Yep, yeah, yep. and shout out to Andrew Jones, Central Coast Santa Barbara, Paso Robles winemaker, doing this project out of Washington State. Yeah, trucking the grapes down from Washington, making the wine down in in Santa Barbara area, and labeling it this label called Barter and Trade, and it's from Washington. And it and they nail it. I just actually awesome had stuff. Uh, a 17 uh, barter and trade Cabernet and it was fantastic. Oh man. Awesome. Just beautiful. So yeah, man, hopefully some people get out there and, and try some Merlot. If you get your hands on a bottle of Rourke, definitely try it. It's, it's beautiful and look for other kind of central coast, Santa Barbara uh, kind of labels. Yeah. 
without a doubt, explore. I mean, when it comes to the new world, you just got to explore, talk to your local wine shop purveyor. And, um, and at this, you know, you can probably find when you're shopping like South American Merlot, right? For example, you're you can probably find some really great examples for under 20 bucks easily. Yeah. So throw a couple darts. Absolutely. Um, I don't think you'll be terribly disappointed and you never know. You might really find something, uh, something great for that, for that price. Absolutely. I, I agree. And post COVID, I think a trip to Santa Barbara might be in order. <laughs> yeah. Now no I really doubt. want to travel. No doubt. I'm hungry and want to travel. I'm, I got all, I got all kinds of wants over here. All right, dude. I'd say we wrap it up. Cool. Remember, life is short. Drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fat Man Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That Wine Pod is a production of Paragon Media.